today we are lucky enough to have two people on our podcast. We have the founder of Josie Angels, Abu Kasim. Josie Angels is a network of 29 angel investors based in Johannesburg that have together made a combined 44 early stage investments. And Abu has previously started a number of other companies, including Ground Floor, an online platform that has scaled to 37 countries before exiting. Having grown up in a family business which recently turned 80 years old and has had its fair share of pivots to survive and thrive, you can clearly say that entrepreneurship is in his blood. And our second uh, person with us today is Jason, who's the founder of Elevation Holdings. Elevation Holdings has a portfolio of seven investments focusing on the startup space. And Jason has always had an investment portfolio, but also spent eight years heading up the leading youth marketing agency in Africa before successfully navigating the sale of the business to a multinational. He's an angel investor in the Josie Angels Network and provides financial and advisory capital. Welcome, Abu and Jason. Thank you. I think angel investing is essentially leveraging your knowledge, your networks, and your money to then make more money and have a greater impact. So after the conversation with an entrepreneur usually starts and is, is, uh, as a starting point is around the money, uh, but actually the knowledge and the networks often more important than the money we invest. Uh, so we do invest money. It's our own personal money. Uh, and we invest this into young startups that will hopefully go on to be the next big thing. Uh, most of our deals have been equity-based or equity-linked. And most of our angels have uh, big ambitions of, of owning diverse portfolios of multiple startups. And Abu, tell me, from an angel investor perspective, allow me to um, use this word, is it more just sexy investments like tech uh, and that type of space or do you also invest in what we refer to as sometimes the real economy type of projects or companies? Do you mind me giving me some insight there? Yeah, we invest in the real economy as well. Okay. <laughs> um, the, um, yeah, the investments are predominantly Space. Uh, the reason for that is we we tend to invest in companies where we can attract follow-on funding. Uh, so they are the the guys that usually follow on from our initial investment are venture capitalists and potential impact investors. Uh, and we only make money once we exit the business. Um, so in South Africa, it's typically a ten to twelve year journey that your your money is worth the, the startup for, um, and during that time, there are usually multiple follow-on funding rounds, and it's usually a venture capitalist who's, who's investing in, in that particular company post your investment. We have invested in some non-tech businesses, but they have strong intellectual property that we can leverage and scale into international markets. Oh, thank you very much. Um, cool. And then Jason, in your, hello, you haven't said anything yet, huh? Uh, in your, <laughs> in your uh, bio, you made it quite clear that you provide financial and advisory capital. And Abu t- touched on it a little bit, but I just wanted to hear a bit more from you on what is advisory capital and why is it so important? Because, you know, you, you initially think people just need money. They've got a great idea. All they need is money. Yeah. I mean, Abu mentioned tech businesses, and when you're speaking about pre, pre-seed and seed stage in tech businesses, increasingly those, those uh, certainly at a proof of concept stage, 
those businesses are not as expensive to kickstart as they were 5, 10, 15 years ago. So, yeah, of course they, they need money and often founders have to pull themselves out of like real paying day jobs. So they have to be compensated at some kind of level. But what they really often need is they've got a broad concept. Often founders um, occur in pairs and one of them might be a techie, one of them might be a sales guy, one of them might be a marketing guy, one of them might be a business brain. But between two people, it's very hard to have all the skills necessary to kind of round up in all the requirements for business. So it's partly um, post-investment management that as an angel, you cut a check, uh, but then you also want to see the check work as hard as it possibly can. So you couple it with advisory. Uh, and in some some businesses that I'm involved in, even like very, uh, very heavy intervention to help, help the business succeed. And also access to market. I mean, often um, businesses, you don't need to keep plowing more and more money into as long as you can help them generate money and fund, fund their needs uh, that way rather than investment capital. And that's another part of advisory and, and the angel role is access to market. You know, I find that um, uh, that's exactly the way it should be approached. As an entrepreneur myself, it's never money that always solves all the problems. In fact, it just causes more problems. And what you always need is is guidance, and especially when it comes to scalability. Because scalability transition is very difficult for entrepreneurs always to do. It's one of our biggest challenges. But then within entrepreneurship, the number one thing is always risk. And you want to mitigate that risk by offering a network uh, – as perhaps an offtake for that particular product or service. And you also want to create a sort of foundation of people that can advise uh, and allow us to make less mistakes. Is that uh, too common of, a, of an explanation? Um, no, no, that's very much it. The difficult thing in South Africa, though, is that uh, tech startups are very attuned to the international startup scene, Silicon Valley, TechCrunch. Um, and there. Unfortunately, Silicon Valley, certainly up until recently, um, the, the Uber successes, the unicorns out of Silicon Valley have burnt money. In fact, there's a direct correlation to, to burn and success. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, and it doesn't translate locally. It doesn't translate on the continent at all. You can't spend your way to success. Uh, you, you can read articles in TechCrunch about uh, startups that are six months old that are burning one, one, two, three million dollars a month, and um, out of hundred million dollar funding checks, and then it, it establishes a completely the wrong mindset in local entrepreneurs, startup founders, because you're right, a pretty terrible way to to try and bring your businesses to success is to try and spend it there, because you're likely to spend it in pretty uh, unwise ways. Yeah. And, and Abu and Jason, whichever this question is more relevant to, do you also look at the business? Of course, you look at the tech and the space, the innovation, what that potentially will play a role in the real life, in the real world, how it will help people and assist people. But how much of the element is the product or the service, the innovation, and then the human element that's part of it? How do you look at those factors? I think in the early days, it's uh, pretty much all the human element. Uh, one of the biggest factors we assess initially is the team and the ability to execute on the plan that they've got ahead of them. Um, and then the second thing we look at is the business. Um, is the solution innovative? Is it unique? Is there a moat 
uh, so some sort of barrier to entry that um, we we can work off. Um, and then we look at things like the market opportunity. We look at things like traction. We look at things like fun, uh, fit for for our personal backgrounds and, and needs. And then we look at potential return on investment. But then multiple factors. The biggest one being team. And you and Jason have travelled quite different paths um, in life. Um, and I wanted to know that when you look at um, um, somebody like yourself as an angel investor, how do you how do you navigate? So let's say you know, and I and I try and bring this into a human format. So I'm I'm envisioned life a certain way. How do you make sure that the panel that look at the opportunity is diverse enough to see the opportunity? So let's say, for instance, Abu or Jason, you guys don't believe in a particular type of tech space, but there is opportunity in it, and we are all just human. So you don't always see it yourself, even if you are experienced as an investor. How do you guys navigate that with saying, okay, this is the right call? Does it come down to gut or how do you navigate that? I think from my perspective, I find it difficult to invest in any sectors or, or business spaces that I'm not all that familiar with. Um, so I tend to stick to what I know or just the periphery of that, the adjacent market. Uh, I think um, as an entrepreneur, um, you'll probably have experienced this. You get a lot of no's. And often um, those no's from investors is not because the opportunity is not the right opportunity. It's, it's often just not a good fit for you as an investor. Um, so you need to also take that into context when, uh, when reading into the feedback that you get. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I think that's something we always struggle with, you know, who's the right investor for what. And if you see a particular vision, you know, and but the investors don't see it, it's not necessarily a reason to be discouraged by it. Uh, it's just perhaps uh, a reason to push a little bit harder. Yeah, and Jason, I would... I was wondering, um, you know, there's so much negativity around South Africa. Often uh, we were talking about our economy before we started the podcast. But why South Africa? Why are you still even considering South Africa and South African startups? I mean, obviously, physically you live here, um, but you obviously have other options. Yeah. Well, I mean, we <clears throat> the continent is very well connected angel-wise. So there's a lot of opportunities. Uh, there's the African Business Angels Network. I um, mean, there's quite a lot of knowledge and opportunity sharing across the continent. I don't have any investments outside of South Africa. And the thing is, seed and pre-seed investing is just massively risky as it is. And yeah, you're right. It's kind of it's a familiarity thing. So given this high level of risk, the minute you factor in foreign market risk that you don't understand particularly intimately yourself, it kind of exacerbates the risk. Of course, it also exacerbates the upside. So what I do and what most South African angels do, and I think Abu touched on this, is we look for homegrown startups that have um, globalization capability or at least the kind of startups or tech products that could market themselves in other emerging markets or other selected markets. But yeah, we tr- we're trying to support the South African ecosystem. We partly do it for selfish reasons because we understand it better than any other ecosystem. But we also try to hedge our bets with startups that are that are expandable, migratable, and could have a, a more international footprint. It sounds so 
freaking exciting, man. <laughs> yeah, and it's exciting for me and, and also very encouraging, um, Abu and Jason. You know, we also entrepreneurs in the country, you don't wake up every day with the biggest amount of energy and love and passion. And if you spend 10 minutes on social media, it feels you want to go and sit in a dark corner somewhere. Um <laughs> So it's very encouraging for us how you guys wake up in the morning and still feel positive about investing in South Africa and the future of South Africa. Um, so that's awesome to hear. What What are some exciting? I think angel investing. Sorry, um, angel investing is an extension of entrepreneurship. So we do have our tough days. We do have days where things are not looking good. Uh, but I think there's a lot of opportunity in South Africa. For me personally, I think South Africa is the bargain basement of Africa, the continent. If you look at some of the the funding routes that are taking place elsewhere in the continent in countries like Nigeria and Egypt. I think there's, there's still affordable investments that you can access with the same potential as those um, counterparts in Egypt and Nigeria. You know, and Jason, maybe just as a sideline, um, I don't know if you guys know, I'm sure you know by now, but there was helium discovered recently in the country. Um, and I said to somebody the other day, the media has almost said nothing about it. I think there was one program that did something about the helium discovery that was done in the free state because it just feels to me like the media doesn't have an appetite to promote some of the fantastic stuff that is happening. If you look at the funding that's coming into the country, if you look at there is, I can, we can all give each other thousands reasons to be negative and probably not feel very energetic to even take the next step into the next hour. But if you really start focusing on things that are happening at the moment, there is real reason to be exciting. And a lot of the international markets have invested accordingly uh, to me that they've also seen something that I think South Africans struggle to see. Yeah, I mean, we definitely we've created um, South Africa has created great um, particularly medium-sized businesses. We've created some great enterprise-sized businesses as well. Um, but yeah, I think we, we, we're very bad. We just the, the startup ecosystem, never mind the broader business ecosystem, is pretty bad at blowing its own trumpet and creating its own PR. Yeah. And unfortunately, the media stories that always get read are the ones that are more sensationalist. There's more sensationalist ones tend to be less positive. And unless you've got people actively fighting to get the good stories told, yeah, unfortunately, they're, they're kind of always in the... Um, they're always in the minority. At least you don't have to look at eight out of ten Trump stories a day. <laughs> <laughs> so, are there any good, exciting projects that you guys are working on at the moment? Yeah, I mean, there always are. I mean, you want to? Yeah. Wanna, um, so, on my side, there's a couple that I can think of, and um, we invested into a business called Jobbox earlier this year, uh, and Jobbox is really taking a big swing at unemployment in the country. And it's essentially a gig economy for students. So it's a job readiness platform uh, where students can go and get internships, gigs at companies, and then put that on their CV, which then makes them more employable after they've graduated. Okay. And the other one is a business that I'm actually currently mentoring uh, called Level. And that's an employee wellness solution that does payday loans. And they're taking on Mashalisa's and these loan sharks, which charge exorbitant interest rates, 50% plus. Um, and th they're helping the working class get out of that debt trap. 
Oh, that's, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. yeah, you know the innovation that's still available in in, in Africa and South Africa um, is something that we excited about every day. And, and the moment we start highlighting some of those innovations and stories, we all get excited again. Um, but it's not necessarily the the commercial message from media is not necessarily in their interest to do that. And as entrepreneurs, that's why I really am so grateful that the two of you with such big statues has come on here, because we want to encourage the everyday man, um, that there's a lot of people looking at the forefront of South Africa um, they're excited about what's the opportunities in South Africa but more importantly, we don't come from a place where it's all you know, where we just speak about the fluff we are living that truth um, is that true with your businesses? Yeah, I mean, South Africa is the wild west, man, like it's rough and dirty and there's corruption and there's adversity and there's uh, huge uh, affordability problems. I mean, you can create tech products, uh, but then you've got literally four million uh, members of the population who battle to afford the data to even access those tech products. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, I think the the place in South Africa is particularly good is as a test bed for complex markets because we've got um, some very sophisticated, wealthy uh, citizens. And then we've got a huge population, middle market population, and then we've got abject poverty. And it's it's not entirely rare, but it's fairly uncommon to have <clears throat> that kind of diversity in a single country. And if you've got not necessarily tech propositions, but any business proposition that needs to be popular, uh, needs to appeal across the broad base. South Africa is a brilliant test bed market to to see whether the appeal in the middle market is going to be as high or as low as the upper end um, and whether you can make something happen in the bottom of the pyramid as well. And you can do it all relatively cheaply in terms of both development and rollout in South Africa because, on an, I mean, of course it feels expensive, but on an international scale, the cost of prototyping and testing and POCing in South Africa is massively different to, to the Northern Hemisphere. Jason, you touched on something that I feel very passionate about. Somebody had a conversation with somebody uh, in politics the other day and we were speaking about, you know, know, everybody wants to raise all the the stuff that's going wrong uh, and then not offer solutions. And I said, I disagree with that. The solution is in front of all of us. If you have a budget, spend it the right way. If you are serving the community as a politician, then serve what you've promoted and promised, that you're going to serve the people with the resources that you have and the capacity that you have. And it's the same thing on Data. I said to somebody the other day, if you look at some African countries that's followed this path, um, is data is the next revolution of education for us. Uh, well, we personally speak from our business perspective that the next revolution of accessibility and data and education is coming down to the bosses of MTN, Vodacom sitting down together and saying we're going to make fundamental changes on the cost models that we offer to our users. What's your feeling on that? Am I stretching that one? No, it's com- no. I mean, access to the internet is is a is a game changer. I mean, for Africa, it's going to we in terms of formal education, we're so far behind. We're never gonna we're never gonna catch up. We have to leapfrog leapfrog with technology, and the only way to do that is is um is access to the internet. And countries like Rwanda, which are poorer than us, uh, have a firm belief in that. Are madly passionate about it. Like a huge portion of the national budget and the political will is around getting a connected population. 
And we, yeah, we, we absolutely have to do better, both the private sector, but also government initiatives around connectivity have been very stoppy, starty, stoppy, starty. And it's, it's so critical to get it right. Jason, I'm, uh, I was in Kigali. I'm sorry, my apologies, Babu. Say. Sorry, I think there's um, a misconception that um, the digital world, the internet, technology results in job loss. Uh, the state of Seattle in America have a statistic that for every one tech job that they create, they create seven non-tech jobs. Oh, so I think the fourth industrial revolution that we're all concerned about job loss, um, I think we, we need to embrace it. And um, yeah, the, the cost of technology is just one, or cost of data is just one element that will help us um, embrace it to the fullest. Okay, so um, it's a tough question, I think, for both of you, but I'm sure with the amount of time you've been in business and the different businesses you've been involved with that you can remember a couple of standout decisions that you've made uh, that you've really learned something from. Do you both have uh, one that you can share with us? Uh, yeah, this is like, uh, how far have you fallen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, diarize all the mistakes. I think the important thing is, yeah. is that often, and I'm sure you probably get asked this question often, it's like, how did you get where you are? How did you become so successful? And I think often we, we don't hear the things that really we can learn from. So we want to know what is it that you, that you maybe – uh, mistake is hard, I think, often for entrepreneurs and South Africans to comprehend because we all just want to think we're invincible and we just moved on and we're still alive and we still have a business, so I never made any mistakes. <laughs> but uh, I yeah. think it's important to talk about. Yeah, I mean, of course. Like daily I make small mistakes and and across the the course of having my adult life I've made many mistakes. I think the biggest in the... <clears throat> I mean, I'll speak about a bigger mistake just now, possibly, but I think in, in this part of investment space, and Abu will also have stories of, I mean, in fact, him and I have, have a co-investment, which is probably a mistake. Um, but in last year, I backed, it was an incredible, yeah, Abu was speaking about backing the, the, the horse more than the jockey, so the founders or the, the entrepreneurs more necessarily than the business. And it's like kind of folklore in startup investing that you'd rather have an A team and a B, a B business than, a, than an A business and a B team. Um, and it was a great, it was led by a great, it was a, a good enough product, <clears throat> uh, came in the top three at a pitch competition. I was uh, one of the judges of the competition. I particularly liked the proposition. I engaged with them. And these, you kind of, by the day you write the check for a startup, We've gone through a very long process of both courting and chemistry testing and due diligence. So it's not like investments, even smallish ones, are not lightly made. I mean, there's a long process of interrogation of, of potential success. And the, the, it was a standard team of three. So my recommendation around startup investing is, um, again, this is also like kind of a rule of thumb, which I've learned the hard way, is don't invest in one founder and don't invest in three. Um, <laughs> obviously, one founder is very risky. Three founders is a mess. Yeah, confusing. So I was very far down the line <clears throat> when the um, when I realized, I mean, some people are just less honest in these processes than they should be, that two of the founders were involved in a relationship. Um, 
and they ganged up against the third, uh-huh. <laughs> the third founder, who was basically the rock star. And the whole thing, like literally in a matter of two weeks, which felt like quite a robust business had been kind of they'd made six months of really good pro- progress just because of the, the human factor completely just collapsed. Um, so yeah, I mean, you have to get the personal chemistry right. You have yeah. to make sure you're backing the, the, the right horse more than the jockey and avoid avoid teams with three founders, I think. Uh, yeah, and I suppose you get to learn that process and those people through the due diligence process that you go together. Um, and then the only unpredictability is the human nature. <laughs> Yeah, completely. And Abu, yours? Yeah, so I think firstly, I, I don't consider myself successful. I think I've still got a lot of work ahead of me. Um, but I've um, also been through a lot. And uh, I think the, the one thing that stands out for me, just given the, the learnings, is, is I've learned more from failure than I have from success. Um, and my first business, or first real business, um, was, was a challenging one. So it wasn't a good fit for what customers were looking for. Uh, but on paper, it sounded amazing. Yeah. Um, and I just kept at it, kept at it. And I needed probably about 10 to 15 people to tell me, Abu, this is not working. This is not a good fit. Um, and only over time did this thing sink in and I accepted the business. But it, it was that emotional attachment to that first yeah. business that, was really difficult to, to actually let go of. Um, and I think there's, it's synonymous with entrepreneurship. And you know, I think I've learned to embrace failure since um, and, and learn to, to learn from it, uh, which, which is always a tough one for entrepreneurs. Uh, I would just out of interest question, do, do that process, did your gut, what did your gut tell you during that process that everybody was telling you? Um, yeah, my gut was, was mixed. Um, I, I loved the, the solution on paper. Um, I could almost, uh, I think towards the end, the gut was, was quite clear this was not going to work. Uh, but the emotional attachment, that umbilical cord was very difficult to, to cut. Yeah. Um, and it was only over time where I, I realized yeah, my, my efforts were better spent elsewhere that I then decided to, to cut it. I think it's never black and white. It's never like, okay, this is definitely not going to work yeah. or this is definitely going to work. It's always a shade of gray and you've got to then make a decision based on that, uh, on, on what, what information is available to you at that time. Uh, yeah, and then Jason, do you want to share a second one? Oh, uh, yeah, it's just like, I mean, Abu and I know each other fairly well and I know he's, his kind of life journey has been much more fraught than mine. I, I really feel like I've been, I mean, I'm quite blessed in terms of positive things, but I've also had this weird kind of blessing of very, very few, like, heart-wrenching, terrible, shocking, horror moments in my life. Which <laughs> kind of, you just, you know, you have to sit around and wait for the big bang because it's going to happen. I was like, the moment Corona came, I was like, okay, well, I'm definitely getting good. <laughs> and... So I went to Europe, like in March, you know, just to try. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> even being in Europe in March, I didn't study get Corona. Yeah. Um, but I think the closest, so I haven't had like the death of a parent. I haven't had the deep and disastrous failure, uh, very, very painful of a failure of a business that didn't have a backstop. So it's kind of, it's going to happen. Like something, something really shit is going to happen at some yeah, point. Yeah, too. yeah. Um, but I think what I did do in a business 
which was a business uh, I refounded, and um, and it was in the, I went in on a, a three-year plan, a three-year plan turned into a five-year plan, turned into an eight-year plan, and I think that was a failure on my part. It was about uh, I lost I lost myself, and I put a lot of my those dreams of being kind of revitalized now and I'll be realized in terms of what I wanted to be, which was be active in multiple businesses and contribute in a different way rather than kind of lead a single uh, small yeah. business. Yeah. And I think I was right. You know, sometimes you get seduced by the your love for your own idea. Other times you get seduced by your circumstances. It was a great business and we had a great time. And it was, but eight years was, was not the right way, the not right duration for me to spend in that space. And, and on the face of it, like lots of things were great, but I was probably unhappy, not deeply unhappy, but relatively unhappy for at least three or four of those eight years. And you have to, you don't have enough, when you're kind of on the treadmill of doing stuff, you don't have enough yeah. realization moments. You don't have like reality clubs. Even if you go on a this lavish like two-week holiday, sometimes you don't have, yeah, you just need to listen to some kind of inner voice and know where you need to take a different fork in the road. That was, yeah, that was probably three to four years poorly spent. But in, like in, in the middle part of your, your adult life, it's a fairly, fairly long duration. I thank you very much for sharing that, uh, Jason. You know, so it's almost, you know, on the entrepreneur side, it's the risk. Um, and we always speak about risk in entrepreneurship. And um, there's also a risk um, if you don't follow the path that you um, that you were meant to follow or the passion that you've got. Uh, that risk is, you know, not job fulfillment and then ultimately life fulfillment. Um, so that's very important. And thank you very much for sharing that with us um, I hope people have listened and 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 um, and that they can make something work from it. <laughs>